we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. And complete the dang fence. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. Cast down your bucket where you are. We come from France. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. They're coming in by the thousands, just unbelievable. A wall is an immorality. Who are you rooting for? Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up! Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy, the podcast of the Center for Immigration Studies. My name is Mark Krikorian, Executive Director of the Center. And this time we're going to be talking about something that's really important, but most people don't really focus on it. And that is the issue of work permits. Work authorization is the way it's referred to legally. And the document that you would get from Homeland Security is called an Employment Authorization Document. EAD is the shorthand that we often use. And it is really important because much of the debate over various kinds of temporary and other statuses focuses not on whether a person is or is not subject to deportation, but rather whether a person has work authorization. We're not going to be talking about DACA, for instance, but the point of DACA is not protection from removal, as the advocacy groups often put it, because the people who have DACA were never likely back in 2012 when this is announced or subsequently likely to be deported unless they'd committed a crime. What they wanted, what the advocacy groups wanted DACA for was to get work permits in those people's hands because that means you're working legally and it more effectively and more thoroughly embeds those illegal immigrants in society, making it that much harder at some point to remove them. And so the Biden administration recently made several announcements regarding the work permit issue and work authorization in several different contexts. And I thought it was worth having a discussion about what the details are and what's going on. And so for that, we have Liz Jacobs on our staff who has been at USCIS, written regulations, and is very familiar with the way this works and what the meaning and nuances of the various policies are. So Liz, thanks for coming in. And if you could just sort of describe, first of all, there's been a couple of announcements relating to work permits and work authorization. You wrote on the blog about one recently. If you could just sort of start with kind of the basics of what was announced. Sure. Well, last week, the Department of Homeland Security announced a handful of reforms to their border security policies that will allow more individuals in the United States without a lawful immigration status to get either work authorization on an initial matter or extended work authorization. So extending the validity period of their EADs for up to five years, which Mark is really interesting because they are talking out of both sides of their mouth now saying, if you cross the border illegally, you will be removed quickly, but also we'll give you work authorization documents that will now be valid for up to five years instead of two. Yeah. And so 
There's really nothing temporary about being given a five-year work permit. It's a little ridiculous. And before you continue to preface this more, I, sh- I forgot to bring this up before, the context within which these decisions are being made from the administration is that New York and other cities have all of these illegal aliens who are showing up and they're having to provide for them because there are limits on when you can, for instance, if you're an asylum applicant, you have to wait a certain amount of time before you can apply for a work permit. And so this is straining the budgets, amazingly, of these cities. Initially, they just blamed Governor Abbott as though somehow the Texas governor was the reason for this. And in fact, most illegal immigrants in New York and elsewhere were not bussed there by Texas. Then the next reaction was we want more money from federal taxpayers. And their latest answer, as it were, for the problem that these cities are experiencing is, can't we just get all these people work permits so they can go get a job? That's the context within which all of this is taking place. And it's no coincidence that the administration has made these announcements that you're talking about where they're making work permits, doubling the the time you can have this so-called temporary work permit. Exactly. So if an alien has been paroled into the United States, they are eligible immediately to apply for work authorization, but USCIS still needs to process that application, and that takes time, especially considering USCIS's long backlogs and processing delays they've been experiencing in the past few years. That's only getting worse. But if a person has not been paroled into the United States, but has entered illegally and then applies for asylum, they must wait 180 days before they are eligible to apply for work authorization. So that population is experiencing the largest delay. And Congress made that requirement, I believe it was back in 96, if I'm not mistaken, precisely to avoid the phenomenon we're seeing now, which is where people are coming in saying they fear being returned and doing all of that in order to get a work permit. In other words, the point of this was to kind of de-link an asylum application from a work permit. And what a lot of the Democrats want is to relink that. In other words, to eliminate that deterrent measure. Yeah. So that delay is typically referred to as the 180-day asylum EAD clock. Right. And Congress created that so that the availability of work authorization for asylum applicants wouldn't become a pull factor for illegal immigration. Right. That combined with last in, first out, processing, meaning the most recent arrivals get processed first, was intended to ensure that work authorization didn't become a pull factor. But today, with the Biden administration's historic abuse of parole and automatic eligibility to apply for work authorization, work authorization is exactly that pull factor that Congress tried to avoid. So, in a sense, the recent measures extending the validity of work permits up to five years, all that really does is increase the magnet for illegal immigrants to come across the border. Because even if tomorrow's illegal immigrant isn't automatically going to basically scoop up a five-year work permit, it's creating the environment wherein people figure, okay, well, they're increasingly lax. They gave my, uh, you know, my cousin who came last year a five-year work permit, I'm going to go and try to do the same thing. Sure. It's worth noting that the five-year work permit exceeds the validity duration for many employment visas. Right. 
it signals to the world that if you enter the United States illegally, apply for asylum, or if you're paroled illegally by our government, you will at least be able to work lawfully for five years without concern of removal or being subject to a worksite enforcement action. So, I mean, that's actually a good point. Are they going to be doing five years to everybody? Because in that case, you could have a work permit and work legally even after you become an illegal alien. DHS is increasing the validity period for EADs to five years for refugees, asylum grantees, recipients of withholding of removal, which is another form of protection, and then also applicants for asylum, adjustment of status, or cancellation of removal. So entirely populations that lack a lawful immigration status or refugees. So that'd be interesting. I mean, refugees and people who have received asylum, that's pretty, I mean, that's obviously not particularly controversial. My sense is that's because USCIS just wants to do less paperwork. But, you know, for, say, asylum applicants, if you get a five-year work permit and let's say, you know, you speed through the system and get a decision in three years and get turned down, but you still have two years left on your work permit, it seems to me. That's ridiculous. Yeah. The likely scenario, though, is that the Immigration court backlogs are so long that these individuals will likely be eligible to receive another five-year extension of their work permit. Because they won't have completed the process, in other words. Exactly. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is just appalling. Basically, they're overwhelming the system and then making sure everybody caught up in that overwhelmed system gets to keep working legally. They're working legally without a lawful immigration status. Right, right. Unbelievable. So also related to work permits, recently the administration not only renewed TPS for people from Venezuela, but extended, redesignated, as it's referred to, for all the Venezuelans who had come after the last time they gave TPS up through, I believe it's the end of July. You've written about this redesignation issue and how it's kind of legally dubious. But the point of this is basically to get work permits in the hands of, this is another way of getting work permits into the hands of more people, more illegal aliens, right? Exactly. Congress created TPS to be temporary, and they also created it to require a physical presence date requirement, meaning an alien had to be in the United States before the country was designated for TPS. Which just just to insert, it's because of, say, a hurricane or an earthquake or a civil war or something. In other words, not to draw people after the disaster. Exactly. Not to draw people after the disaster, but also not in itself to be a new pull factor for illegal immigration. Right. So by redesignating, which is not expressly authorized in the Immigration Nationality Act, the government is able to push up that physical presence date to encapsulate a larger group of people who become eligible for these benefits. And with TPS, not only do they get protection from removal, but they get work authorization documents. So with this action, DHS has increased the pool of aliens who are in the United States unlawfully, but now become eligible for work authorization by about 500,000 people. Wow. To put that in perspective, the total TPS population before this for all nationalities was only about 700,000, which is a historic high, but this is almost doubling. Right. Yeah. Unbelievable. So we're talking... Now, not everybody eligible applies, but certainly we're going to end up with more than a million people who have so-called temporary protected status. Some of them 
having gotten it 20 years ago or even longer in the past. Yeah. Another problem with TPS is that administrations who have sought to end TPS designations when countries' conditions have improved or the event that had initially inspired the designation has ended, and that's primarily the Trump administration, has not been successful in court in actually ending these programs for people who are in the United States illegally. Yeah. So it's become a de facto administrative amnesty in a way because- Well, it is an administrative amnesty. It's become a de facto permanent exactly. administrative amnesty. And when you said administrations, I'm glad you qualified that because the Trump administration is the only one who has ended except, except TPS for people from Montserrat was allowed to lapse. It's a little island in the Pacific that had a volcanic explosion and like half the island was covered with ash. And so literally, I think it was 14 people, it may have been 21 people in the United States got TPS because of that. And that was the only one that I've read that was allowed to actually lapse and just disappear because my sense is all of those people either went home, got married, may have moved on to England or Canada or something like that. The only other example I can think of of TPS that's ended was an example where TPS ended, but their work permits never did. Their work authorization didn't because it was people from Liberia who were given, when their TPS ended, and this was under George W. Bush administration, they were just all immediately reclassified under deferred and forced departure, which is just three different initials for the same exact thing. You get to keep your work permit. That's, that's what that means. And well, like you said, when the Trump administration tried to phase out TPS and therefore the work permits that people had from countries where the disaster ended many years before were stymied in court and blocked. And then the administration basically turned into a pumpkin and ran out of time to pursue that issue. One thing on this that I remember reading one of the renewals under, I think, Obama of Honduran TPS, which has been going on since, is it 97 or 2000? I think it's 1996, but I have to double check. The point is it's a long time, more than 20 years. And I actually sat down and I said, first of all, I was looking for what the number, because the Federal Register has to have what number of people they expect to be eligible for these work permits. And then I read what their justification was because the hurricane had been over for decades. It was that there was a blight on the coffee plants in Honduras, and that justified renewing TPS. Basically, TPS is totally pretextual. It's just an excuse to give, like you said, to make it an administrative amnesty. And it's never ended, so it's a de facto permanent amnesty in which people keep work permits. They don't get green cards, but they do have work permits, which is what illegal immigrants are worried about. The practical effect is that if an alien is from a TPS-designated country and they're able to obtain TPS, then they can expect to live in the United States long-term without concern. Absolutely. And, you know, there are people, I think Liberians may be the ones who had gotten, who have had TPS or some form of it for the longest. Some of them have grandparents now have retired and they've been ostensibly on the temporary status ever since. If you could we want to talk a little bit, and you've written a little bit about this, is one of the reasons they're doing this isn't just to get work permits into the hands of more illegal aliens, which is what this administration wants to do, but also deal with the burden 
the Biden policies have put on USCIS just in the matter of processing paperwork. It's taken them forever just to process all of these applications for parole and for work permits and all of that stuff. And so the point here, I think part of the point is just have less work for USCIS. Certainly by extending the validity periods of EADs, the Department of Homeland Security is taking a small part of that burden off of USCIS, which is the agency that administers those applications. However, the Biden administration's historic creation of numerous parole programs, expansion of TPS, and creation of different forms of humanitarian protection that did not exist before has added to their administrative burden. Even the USCIS ombudsman has, in their 2023 annual report to Congress, detailed at length how this has caused USCIS to really have to pick and choose what immigration categories or non-immigration categories get their priorities. And with last week's announcement from the Department of Homeland Security, they are again choosing parolees or individuals without immigrant or non-immigrant visas for their administrative priorities. Right. And this reflects the kind of thing that we saw when DACA was announced now over a decade ago, where even the New York Times acknowledged, they wrote about this, that because of the burdens placed on basically the bureaucrats at USCIS who do this paperwork processing, and I don't use that term in a derogatory sense, somebody's got to do this kind of processing. The burden of hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants now getting DACA and the work permits that were involved in the rest of it, they ended up delaying the processing of legal immigration applications. And in fact, the category that got hit the most was the one category that everybody in this debate agrees is important and necessary, and that is the spouses of U.S. citizens. So the category that should be, I think in most people's opinion, the number one priority, because as long as it's legitimate, if you marry someone overseas, you have every expectation that you should be able to bring that person to the United States and get that paperwork done expeditiously. That was the category that experienced the worst fallout from DACA. And so it seems like that ombudsman's report from USCIS that you wrote about, we'll have a link in the show notes, suggests something similar is going on now where illegal immigrants are being prioritized over legal immigrants. The USCIS Ombudsman's Office referred to this phenomenon as drifting backlogs. So claiming it's making progress with one backlog, we're actually just adding to another category. Right. But DHS is continuing this. They have said, starting October 1st, that USCIS will accelerate processing for EAD applications filed by parolees specifically who have scheduled an appointment through the CBP-1 app. So aliens who are inadmissible to the United States but are nevertheless being paroled into the country over other categories in order to meet the demands that have been made by many immigrant or migrant advocates and Democratic mayors to expand walker authorization for migrants in the United States illegally. So another, basically, another example of what amounts to illegal alien privilege. If you use the CBP-1 app to immigrate illegally, because you're still an illegal alien, even though the administration says it's lawful pathway, you get priority. And it seems like that's one 
more way this administration is pursuing what they are presenting as a carrot and stick policy. In other words, their way of explaining what they're doing at the border is creating these so-called lawful pathways, which are facially illegal, but as a way of funneling people away from illegally crossing between the ports of entry and ending up in the Border Patrol statistics. The last episode, I had linked to a report that our Todd Benzman had done based on FOIA information of how many people the administration isn't just letting in across the border, but they're actually permitting to fly into interior airports if they made an appointment with CBP-1. And those numbers they had been hiding, and we got them through litigation. But my point here is that this latest thing that you talked about, how parolees who use CBP-1 will be prioritized in the paperwork for getting their work permits, is another way of sort of embellishing the carrot part of carrot and stick. But the recent announcement that extended work permits and what have you also did have some stick in it, ostensibly, right? But the stick is really, we should be calling it more a carrot and twig strategy, maybe. Uh, So what was the supposed toughening part of this carrot and stick approach? A few things. First, DHS announced that it will be increasing its what it calls holding and processing capacity. And this language, I think, is important to distinguish between detention capacity. The Immigration Nationality Act requires that DHS detain people who have crossed the border illegally and who have been apprehended until the completion of their immigration proceedings. But the Biden administration has been reluctant to do that. Reluctant, you're being kind. (laughs) (laughs) They have not been doing that, but they will be holding and processing people. So this language indicates to us that this capacity will be just until they are able to process their parole applications, which then provides work authorization eligibility. Right. So essentially part of the stick or what they are presenting as a toughening is really just processing people faster and releasing them into the United States. Exactly. Yeah. And then DHS said that they will be allowing the Department of Defense to add 800 new active duty personnel to the border to help DHS because their resources are strained for obvious reasons. And then again, just before you get to the final point, all that is, again, is processing people faster. In other words, that they want to present as, well, we're sending we're sending soldiers, troops to the border, but all they're doing is to help Border Patrol release people even faster into the United States. Finally, DHS says it will be expanding its Family Expedited Removal Management Program, which allows DHS to use expedited removal for family groups in a way that allows them to just put a GPS tracking device on the head of household. The idea is that this should be using expedited removal proceedings, which is effective in removing individuals from the United States quickly. However, DHS has used expedited removal in such few and low numbers that it is virtually non-existent. DHS even admitted that it's only processed 1,600 families using expedited removal under this program. Which is about, what, eight hours worth of people coming across the border in any given day, something like that. Or family members. Yes, anyway. and yeah. this is since May. So yeah. <laughs> it's not really the chance that a family unit will be placed in this program, given those numbers, is quite slim. Yeah, to say the least. 
And so, in other words, this is really is just another chapter in this long story of the administration trying to present their approach as a carrot and stick when really it's carrot and carrot in some sense. In other words, this is just, it's, it's really quite deceptive. And, you know, I'm not a subscriber to the idea that the Biden administration is willingly importing voters or something like that. I think that's misunderstanding what's going on. But, you know, at some point, it becomes hard to argue against that because this is getting to a point where it's beyond just looking the other way. This really is large-scale facilitation of illegal immigration. Exactly. The DHS is allowing people to apply from abroad to enter illegally by scheduling an appointment. There's no way around. Right. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And then the complaints or the demands of people are, well, we need more immigration judges. That'll fix the problem. But, you know, at some point you can't immigration judge your way out of this because, I mean, if every lawyer in America became an immigration judge, you'd still end up with backlogs because just more people would come in. In other words, there is no logical sort of limitation point to this. And I'm just not sure how it's sustainable for another year, year and a half, but we're going to see. Mark, I don't think this is sustainable. New York City Mayor Eric Adams recently announced that New York City has spent 12 billion dollars this year on managing, providing care and housing for migrants who have arrived in the city. And that's just New York City. Um, DHS in this press release stated that it has provided $770 million to 70 NGOs just in 2023 so far. Yeah. So, and the governor of Massachusetts called out the National Guard to help with the number of illegals who are coming. And I think they're going to find very quickly that even expanding work eligibility as they're doing here is itself is not going to solve anything. And so I'm kind of interested in seeing what their next, what their next move is going to be. Because interestingly, the state of New York, before this announcement came out, the state of New York was toying with the idea of just authorizing illegal immigrants to work on its own. In other words, issue which is beyond just illegal. I mean, it's it's absurd and laughable. And yet, I think you might well see that because this extension of work authorization and expansion of it still isn't going to cover all the illegal immigrants that they want it to cover, and the costs that the cities and states, the sanctuary cities and sanctuary states, frankly, are bearing is still going to be very high, I think we might see a push at the state level, basically to defy the federal government and issue their own EADs. And then what would this administration do? I mean, I'm not sure they'd be against it. So it would be interesting to see what the result then would be. The administration in part justified the expansion of TPS for Venezuelans and accelerating processing for EAD applications based on those threats from the governor of New York and various mayors. And it's interesting because they could, like the Obama administration did to the state of Arizona, sue a state for violating federal law or preempting federal law and trying to make their own immigration policy. But instead of pushing back on these threats, they have given in and just said, fine, we'll we'll issue more work authorization documents. They will be valid for longer periods of time. 
and more people will be eligible. Yeah. So when Arizona tried to help the enforcement of immigration law, the Obama administration sued them. But when New York, in this case, is threatening to subvert immigration law, this administration is saying, okay, don't do that. We'll subvert it for you, basically, is what they're saying. It's really pretty unbelievable. But the legal challenge would be similar. It would be that the state is preempting the sure, sure. federal government. No, no, but you're assuming there would be a legal challenge. Oh, yeah. So I'm, sa- uh, I'm saying they do have options yeah. to take legal yeah. action. Yeah, but my, I mean, they, New York hasn't done it, just to be clear. They were talking about it. But if they did it, I, I would be surprised if this administration actually filed suit to stop it. I think they would be okay with letting this kind of this idea of states being able to make up their own immigration policy, let it kind of metastasize. So if New York got away with it, I could see California saying, heck, you know, what do we chop liver? We're going to do it too. And again, presenting facts on the ground that a future administration would have to spend a lot of time trying to undo, assuming they even could undo it. So anyway, that's it for this week. This sounds kind of wonky. You know, we're here in Washington and talking about EADs. What's the form number for a EAD? Do you remember? It's an I-765. Yeah. Well, that's exactly the kind of inside baseball Washington stuff that people might think is sort of eye-glazingly boring and dumb. But this issue of work authorization is one of the key points, sort of the key inflection points in immigration policy. Because if you can't get a work permit, You could still, as an illegal immigrant, work illegally, but it's harder to do. It's less attractive. It doesn't root you in our system, in our society in the same way. Because when you have a work permit, you then get a social security number. You can get a driver's license. It is a step toward a full amnesty, even if it's not a full amnesty yet. And that's why, even though we're talking, like I said, about what seems like arcana from bureaucrats, it actually is one of the central questions in our ability to control immigration. So thanks for coming in, Liz. And I know you're going to be keeping an eye on this and we may have to unfortunately revisit this in the future. Thank you. That's it for this week's Parsing Immigration Policy. If you liked what you heard or didn't like what you heard, rank and review us on your podcast platform if it permits that. And in any case, email us at center at cis.org if you have ideas for future programs, compliments, criticisms, what have you. So until next time, this is Mark Krikorian, Executive Director of the Center and your host for Parsing Immigration Policy. 